Welcome to the Dance Floor Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things ballroom. I'm very excited to have on the podcast today one of my very dear friends who's also an amazingly talented and gifted ballroom dancer. Her name is Natasha Newman. Natasha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We have probably an endless supply of things that we want to talk about with ballroom dancing. We've already come up with 10 episodes that we want to do. But one of the things that always impressed me with Natasha is that she was able to afford ballroom dancing, which let's face it, ballroom dancing is super expensive. And you were able to afford it on a very tight budget. And I think it doesn't really matter what your income is. We all struggle with hobbies that we want to afford because at the end of the day, a hobby is just that. You don't need it. It's not food. It's not water. It's it's something that we do for ourselves. And even though self-care is very important and doing things that we love is very, very important, sometimes we find it hard to justify those expenses. Right. So if we can make this happen on a tight budget, then I think it is very important. So I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about what your background is in terms of when you started dancing and maybe some of the financial struggles that you had when you first started. Sure. So I started ballroom when I was 18. Um, So I was out of high school, but I was still living in my parents' house. So I did have a distinct advantage with that I had no rent to pay at that time. Yeah, that's a big help. (laughs) Ah, the old days. Um, So I had minimal expenses of my own, but I did have some. I did have all my car expenses. I paid my own insurance. I worked a full-time job, but I worked a job that was normal income. I didn't make a ton of money, um, but I had enough to to pay my bills and to save. And then when I fell in love with ballroom, I wanted to take the lessons. So I figured out a couple ways with a couple tips how to stretch my dollars with paying for lessons. So I could continue it because it was wonderful and and I loved all the benefits. And so you didn't have help necessarily from your parents in taking the lessons. You did it on your own. Nope, I did it all on my own. I mean, so even with not having to pay rent, even with other bills and expenses, um, an 18-year-old, even working a full-time job, you know, you're not making a ton of money at that point. Ballroom is not necessarily the most obvious hobby. Right. (laughs) Because it is, it it, it can be expensive. And what we wanted to do today, Natasha and I kind of um, discussed a few things. We came up with eight tips to save money and budget on ballroom dance lessons. And we think they're pretty good. I think so too. I think think it's something that everyone could do. Yes. Very applicable. So getting right into it, we're going to count down from eight. So our number eight way to save money on ballroom dance lessons is saving expenses with other students. This is maybe more oriented towards people who are doing competitions or showcases or something where you're traveling. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean competing with your teacher, because I also know a lot of students who travel for um, salsa and zouk and kazomba conventions. Mm. So any kind of traveling expense that's outside of the studio. So our number eight tip is saving travel expenses with another student. So that could mean a hotel. That could mean gas money for a car. And it could even mean sharing, you know, food, whatever. Yeah. No, I remember as a student, I did a few competitions. I only did the competitions that I could afford. But part of the way that I could afford it is if it was an out-of-state competition, I always shared a hotel room with another student or as a professional with another teacher. Uh, we used to cuts. cram into hotel yes. rooms like crazy. There'd cuts. be six of us in a room. Exactly. And that cuts that cost at least in half, which is huge. You always try to find a hotel that will have a complimentary breakfast. <laughs> That's that helpful. gives you at least one meal. But I shared, you know, taxis or split a cost of a lift with another student or another teacher. And it just, it cuts most of the basic costs at least in half. And when you look at it that way, it becomes more affordable if you realize that you're not, you know, spending $300 on a hotel room, that instead it's 100 to 150 
or splitting the cost of a cab to get from the airport to your hotel is not as astronomical when you're splitting it with someone. So if you're sharing those expenses, comp competing or out-of-state showcases or things like that becomes much more affordable and it becomes more of an option, which is wonderful because competing in and of itself is a great way to push your dancing ability. It's, yeah, it's, it's nice to set goals for yourself. Sometimes exactly. you can kind of be circling the drain a little mm -hmm. bit with your dancing and not really know where you want to go next. But competitions and showcases, even though they can be an added expense to your dancing experience, they really, really help you set goals and help you move forward as a dancer. They really do. I think I think they're worth the time and cost to do because they push you farther and it puts you in a different environment around different people and it's really fun. It's it's the best way to kind of challenge yourself in a fun way. For sure. Yeah. And it's fun. I, I mean, sometimes like, yeah, you just want a room to yourself or you just want some privacy. You know, you're nervous. You're getting ready for an event or mm -hmm. performance or whatever. But it's like really fun to share. I mean, we did it some is. crazy stuff like when yeah. we drove to come. I mean, there, there was a time um, a bunch of us went. We there was I want to say there was like 10 of us in this van that we rented to go to Minnesota for a competition. And we played just games in the car the whole time. Lewis told us some crazy stories about when he was growing up, like yeah. crazy things. So you do you do get a chance to sort of experience what other people are going through and have fun and make friends. I'm always really surprised that people don't sort of collaborate a little bit more. So students, for those of you who do compete, talk to your teacher or even talk to other students that take lessons with your teacher and try to coordinate with them. Say, hey, are you going to do this competition in Nashville in a few sure. months? Your teacher is going to quote you a price for a competition based on what the expenses are going to be. Right. He's not necessarily going to assume that you're going to share a hotel room or drive instead of fly. So maybe coordinate with other students that take lessons from your teacher and see what their plans are. See if there's a way that you can save money together. Um, it's not necessarily something that your teacher is going to do for you. Right. But even if you ask your teacher more of the breakdown of what the cost entails, then you can go to another student and say, hey, I know you're doing this competition too. We have the same hotel cost. Can we split that and save us both some money? It's not that hard to collaborate. And most people are happy to do it. And yeah. like you said... I think I always thought it was fun to share a room with another student because you have that camaraderie. You feel like you're rooting for somebody else and you've got somebody rooting for you. Definitely. You help each other getting dressed, doing makeup, doing hair. There's just, it, if anything, I think it's worse being alone. It is. Yeah. It makes <laughs> you more nervous. It's more fun <laughs> to be with someone, um, someone else. And it's just, it's worth the time and money. Yeah. So that is our number eight tip on how to save money for dance lessons. Try to share expenses with other students when possible. So number seven is a very practical way to save money that I don't think most people know about or think about. Yeah, because I actually hadn't thought about this when you told me this. I was exactly. like, oh, that's brilliant. As a student, I would resole the bottom of my dance shoes instead of buying new ones. So a new pair of quality dance shoes can run... What is it like two hundred to three hundred dollars? Depending yeah, on definitely. what you're I mean, you can get you dance need. shoes for cheaper. Like I mean, but they really, don't last long. they don't last long. So if you're buying a pair of fifty dollars shoes, you're going to buy a pair of fifty dollars shoes every three or four months. Exactly. So what I found, and for me, I have wider shaped feet, so breaking in dance shoes is painful, and I only want to do it like one time. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I found. It was much cheaper. I would find a cobbler that could resole the bottom of my dance shoes, and it's just replacing the suede that's on the bottom because right. that wears out. 
I did mine every six to nine months. Especially if you're brushing them with a yeah. shoe brush, it like I mean, it wears you know, them out. It, they you take, can rip this weight apart. A lot of pressure, and oftentimes the same people can also resole your heel for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would pay. I think I remember it was twenty five to thirty dollars for a resole, which is a quarter of a price for um, instead of a brand new pair of shoes. That's brilliant. Even even more so. That I save because then I can reuse my shoes that were already broken in, already comfortable, that were high quality. So the shoes that I have now are the ones that I bought 15 years ago. Yeah. Dane's shoes can last a very long time. You have to invest in them up front because, I mean, if you are buying a a really good brand and a a really decent quality shoe, you are going to pay a lot of money for it, but it's going to last you years. But it will last you a very long time. And resoling is a minimal cost. That you can do every few months so you keep the strength of your shoe up. Um, but it's it's worth doing. Most people don't know that that's an option. It's just a matter of finding a person that can do it and knows how to do it. And then once you do, it's it's a big cost saver. I've even seen people, for those of us that are doing very correct footwork and technique, you know that the the inside edges of your shoes, the, the satin or the fabric can wear down a little bit. So sometimes you get those bald spots yes. on the inside edge of your heel right. or the inside edge. I've even seen people take um, like fabric paint and fill in those oh, yeah. spots. So you can you can really uh, I want to say sort of like give new life to your dance shoes if Definitely. you if you have the patience and and the time for it, you can really save a lot of money there. Exactly. And I one habit that I would make is I would break in my showcase or competition shoes and then I would not practice in them. With the exception of you know the day before practice right. in them. They were the same size, the same shape as my practice shoes, but my practice shoes I would practice in and they would get beat up and worn. Yeah. But I would purposely save my nicer shoes so they didn't have bald spots and whatnot for those competition times. So they look decent on the so floor. They, they still look nice. So it wasn't a case where every couple of years I hit a competition that I thought, I really should buy new shoes. Right. But that was not a cost I could always do. So instead, I purposely bought two pairs, one that would be beat up. And one that would be nice. Your nice shoes. Yes, it's like having, you know, everyday shoes and then having church shoes. Yeah, like you your know? Sunday best for exactly. competitions. <laughs> That's perfect. It's the same idea, but it saves money over time. Okay, moving on to our number six tip on how to save money on your dance expenses. So number six is by doing your own hair and makeup. Now, I've actually done this both ways. I've had makeup and hair done by professionals, and I've done it myself. And really, in a perfect world, when the professionals do it, it's insanely amazing. It's spectacular. It's spectacular. It's amazing. However, you're looking to pay anywhere from $75 to $175 for those expenses. Now, this tip is geared more towards people who are doing competitions and showcases. We also do have some budget saving tips for people that don't perform, but this can be a really, really big expense for students that are competing and doing performances. Yeah. And it it does save a cost and it's not, it's not intimidating to learn how to do it. I mean, with, especially with YouTube. Oh my gosh, there's so many videos. YouTube video on how to do show makeup. Mm-hmm. It's very straightforward. You do a little bit of trial and error. It's kind of fun to do. Yeah, you have to practice though. So this is another, yeah. all of really, I think at the end of the day, all of these tips that we're giving you on how to save money, it's really about your own time. Yes. So you have to, if you want to save money on your dance expenses, you have to invest some of your own time. So if you're going to a competition, don't look at a YouTube video that day and try to <laughs> recreate the hair. Give yourself a week. Yeah. Oh, so a little practice bit of it a couple of times. So you're comfortable and you know what works. And yeah. that's really it. And you could do it. Hair, on the other hand, 
if you are the type of person who's handy with doing your own hair, do it yourself. There's right. a lot of hairspray. You're good to go. Yeah. I would do pretty simple competition hairstyles, and that was fine for me because I didn't have the money to spend to have it professionally done. Yeah. Now, if you're also like me who is not good with various hairstyles and you want something more you know, elaborate and showy, then do your own makeup and then spend the little extra money to have it done. You can yeah. kind of pick and choose. There's cutting the cost in half. So if you exactly. if you don't want to completely eliminate that expense, you can cut the cost in half. Or if you're more comfortable knowing that your hair has been set and it's not going to move, then then that's fine. Don't beat yourself up. If that's an important expense, then you figure out another way to cut one that may is not be as important. Yeah. And keep in mind too, YouTube is just like a bottomless pit of information. So when you're searching things, if you want to try a hair tutorial, make sure you're specifically searching for ballroom hair tutorials. Don't just search for wedding updos or updos because the way that we do our hair in ballroom is very, very specific. You're really shellacking your hair to your head because it cannot move. move. Yeah, and same thing for makeup. There's a ton of specifically designed makeup tutorials for ballroom dancing. Yes. We, you do really need the makeup to be very dramatic, and um, knowing how to sort of highlight and contour your face is important in ballroom too. Yes. One thing that I did that I really, really valued a lot, and this is uh, maybe maybe more of an investment cost, is I had a few pictures of some ballroom makeup ideas that I liked, and I wasn't really quite finding any videos at the time that were depicting exactly how I wanted to do this. If you go to Sephora, you can schedule, or I'm sure they do this at a lot of makeup counters. Yeah. You can schedule basically a private makeup tutorial with them. You have to spend, I want to say at the time I did it, it was, you have to spend $50 on product, Sure. which I find that there's some things in ballroom makeup where, you know, buy a $5 lipstick, use whatever mascara you like, sure. get cheap eyelashes. But there's a couple of products, eyeliner, uh, sometimes foundation. There's a few products, maybe even brushes that you might want to invest a little bit more money in to get quality products. So spending $50 at Sephora is really easy. What they do is they do one step on one eye, you do the step on the other eye. So oh, basically the makeup idea. artist, yeah, they walk you through each step of how to create that look. Mm-hmm. And what was nice about it is I was able to adapt it into a lot of different things. So if you're watching YouTube videos and you're trying it on yourself and it's still not working, try going to a makeup counter. I personally like Sephora, but go to Macy's, Nordstrom, whatever, and see if there's someone um, who can kind of walk you through those steps and sort of teach you how to get through that, which is, you know, really invaluable. I like Yeah. No, that's a great idea. And especially if it's you are starting at the beginning and you don't even know what to buy. That is a great way to do it because they will not only give you a step-by-step of how to do it, but also say, this is what I used. And if you see firsthand that you like it, it's worth the money to just buy it and have it. It takes forever to use up competition makeup. Totally. So when you buy it once, you're pretty much done for 10 years. Yeah, because you're using a darker foundation. You're using probably blushes and bronzers that you don't normally use because you have a tan. not everyday wear. So you just, you have a separate little box, competition stuff, you're done. It's... It's an upfront small cost, and then you don't have to do it again. Exactly. So our number five tip for saving money with ballroom is regarding costumes. So this will apply again to competition, to showcases. And one of those ways to save money is you have the option of making your own costumes. If you're handy with a sewing machine, don't let the style of 
competition dresses intimidate you? Because really it's the fabric that matters. So maybe you're working with a stretchier fabric Mm -hmm. or something rather than just like a basic fabric. Yes. So one way that I saved money in the beginning when I wanted to do competition showcases, I couldn't afford to buy the dresses. And I'm also very short. So even (laughs) buying a dress off the rack at the store, I would have had to have it changed. So instead, my mother happened to be very handy with the sewing machine. So we would work together and using a pattern, I would design the dress and she would help to make it. So together we'd pick out the fabric, we'd pick out a pattern. So if you know how to use a sewing machine, all you need is the pattern that looks like the structure of the dress you're trying to do. And then, like Lauren said, after that, it's really just what fabric you're picking, what embellishments, are you using fringe, are you using ruffles? You can have five completely looking, different looking dresses and they all technically be the same pattern. And one thing that's kind of interesting too, as you're going into picking out fabrics is maybe pick a fabric that has a sparkle or a sheen. You had this dress. Oh my gosh, you guys, Natasha did this insane bolero with our good friend, Jay Johnson, who's an amazingly talented teacher. And it was sort of like a like a blue black and it Night had like, sky. yeah. And I it had sparkles one. in the fabric. So you didn't, I mean, was there a single stone on the dress? I don't think there was. Uh, I embellished a little bit on the back. It had okay. a drape in the back and I put rhinestones on that, but the rest of it was just the fabric itself. Yeah. So if you're, if you're making a costume or if you're even picking out fabric for a costume, possibly consider picking a fabric that already has embellishment on it so that you don't have to invest as much in stones and and, and things like that because that can save you a lot of money. And if you're doing it that way, I mean, I always bought fabric with coupons. Oh, yeah. So, for example, so a cost of a a showcase smooth dress that I had made was $50. So if you are handy with a sewing machine or if you know someone that can make dresses, don't let that stop you. Yeah, because even if you don't have like, you know, like you do the sort of, oh, my mom is good with a sewing machine. Sometimes you can even buy fabric and take it to a seamstress. Yes. And that can even be a little bit more affordable. Pattern, you're paying for the product and you're also paying for the labor, but the overall cost is probably still less to do it that way. Yeah. And if you give them a distinct idea of what you need, for example, I use the same pattern, physical pattern, for five different dresses. Oh wow, that's cool. Nobody would know by. That's so funny because I'm in my head because I like know every dress you ever performed <laughs> in. In my head, I'm going, wait, which five dresses? They all look different. They all look different. They all technically come from the same pattern. The only difference is the fabric would be different, the length would be different, or I would change like sleeves or no sleeves, sleeves or no sleeve, or add not. I wouldn't add anything really. Just it would be the fabric itself would change it. And it's probably something that looked flattering on you. So it's like, well, this is a good shape for me. One of it was the pattern suited my body shape. So I stuck with it a lot. Even my wedding dress was made off of that pattern. Oh my God, that's so cool. Because it worked. And when you find something that works, you stick with it because then you know you're comfortable. And you know what's interesting too? I've noticed a lot of other pros when they're competing. You know, sometimes couples will change costumes for like the semifinal and then change costume for the final. Mm -hmm. A, a big trend right now is that they wear the same costume, but it's a different fabric or a different color. Oh, that's Because cool. it's almost like they want to be identified by their look, sure. but they want to spice it up for the final. So if you find something that works for you, don't feel like you have to change it all the time. It exactly. works on your body for a reason. Exactly. So another option that you can do in regards to costumes that cost less is to, if you're buying a custom-made dress because you want something competition level, you want it to fit your body, that's perfectly fine. I've done that. 
consider buying one that is planar, that right. includes elements that you yourself can't make. So if you're buying a dress that's covered in fringe... Or maybe has a bodysuit attached. Exactly. So it's the technique of putting it together. is not something you yourself can do. Consider buying it without any further embellishment. Like and no rhinestones, yes. no appliques. Exactly. No jewelry or anything with it. Because it's very easy to buy rhinestones on your own and take the time to glue them. It's time-consuming, but cost-wise is a lot less. And again, reiterating, all of these budget-saving things we're giving you, they're most of them about putting your own time into it. So that's a way to save money is by investing your own time into something, obviously. Mm -hmm. But it makes it a little more feasible. Yeah, you can even, um, kind of along with that, you can have a custom dress made and have it come without embellishments, or you can even find some practice wear that's really nice quality yes. and embellish it yourself too. If you, you know, I think especially for you, Natasha, you're, you're shorter. So it's, yeah. it's not like, oh, I can just have a dress hemmed. Sometimes you need different dimensions. So if you do have special sizing considerations, whether you're tall or short, you, you do probably want to have something custom made in a perfect world. You would have a custom dress designed for your measurements. Sure. It would have rhinestones and it would cost anywhere from $5,000 to $8,000. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes that's most of the time that's just not feasible for, yeah. for most people wanting to take lessons and that's understandable. Right. So a practice dress is another thing to take into consideration because if you find a dress that you are comfortable in and suits your body, don't let yourself not consider just adding stuff to it. And there's no reason you can't wear a practice dress that's been embellished with rhinestones or other things to a competition. Right. You could totally do that. Yeah. And I've even seen people compete in practice wear or custom wear that's not embellished at all because that's just sort of the look that they want to create. I've seen Mm. some pros. uh, A lot of people are familiar with the professional smooth couple, Max and Tatiana. Uh, I've seen Tatiana perform and compete in um, elevated, obviously, practice wear. Sometimes it's even just getting practice wear that maybe like your dress has material that's already embellished yes. or maybe I've seen some gorgeous practice wear costumes in velvet. Oh, that is, that's stunning. And it's beautiful. So even if the rhinestones, I mean, maybe you don't have time, maybe you're a mom, maybe you work full time. Maybe you're just like, wow, I don't have hours to glue on rhinestones. You know, just consider maybe getting some really nice practice wear that's good quality and, and maybe investing in some jewelry yes. to, to em- embellish it or accentuate it a little bit too. Yep. And that takes us to our next point is Jewelry is ideally, you know, buying ballroom jewelry from a ballroom vendor is, I mean, it's gorgeous. It suits the style. It's made to stay put. It's fantastic, but it's very expensive. Yeah, you're looking to spend on a really, really simple pair of earrings anywhere from 80 to 150 and then for necklaces, bracelets, um, probably like one, one fifty and up. Yes. So it can be expensive. So another way that you can cut that cost is one way that I did it is I would go to Claire's, which is super cheap. So again, if for some reason it broke or I lost it on the trip, I was not devastated, mm-hmm. but they have a ton of very sparkly earrings, bracelets, anything that you really want, you could probably find for 10, 15, 20 bucks. The only thing that I remember I had to be very conscious of is buying a bracelet that would not catch my or snag, yeah, snag. yeah, yeah. So oftentimes, or your partner, because yes. a lot of times those Don't guys Latin shirts have that that fabric that's just dying to get and snagged. Then you're stuck, and then you're unintentionally doing a polka when you're trying to dance <laughs> tango. It's not good. You don't want to do that. So yeah. I would not buy bracelets 
but I would buy earrings and sometimes a necklace if my dress was one that needed a necklace. Um, so earrings go cheap. It's fine. It works. But for a bracelet, it's really easy to just make your own. Really all it is, is you get yourself a strip of fabric. It doesn't even need to be fully finished off. You get some rhinestones and you just glue the rhinestones on the fabric. You add a clasp, which is very easy to do with and without a sewing machine. And you have a bracelet or an armband. Right. It's perfect. For 20 bucks tops. Yeah. And you can use, I, I think it's called the AB, the AB crystal stones. Yes. If, if, so Those if you want them to go with multiple costumes, you can get sort of the iridescent multicolored mm-hmm. stones and that in that way. And same thing, if you do want to invest in ballroom jewelry, make sure you're always getting that AB crystal clear color as opposed to like turquoise or blue yes. or something. That way you can it make transfers. it go towards more than one costume. Yes. And that's the other thing is buy your jewelry that can work with all of your outfits. Because yeah. then again, you're just doing one cost and everything works. Yeah. And that, that saves a lot. Then you're not have, trying to find things that go with five different outfits. But yeah, making your own rhinestone armband or bracelet is very inexpensive, very easy. So if you don't want to spend the time embellishing on your outfit to do just one bracelet shows up really well. Yeah. And very low skill level required. Oh, yeah. And this is another thing too. If you, I think collaborating with other dancers, other dance students is so great. Maybe have like a jewelry making party, someone yeah. coordinate, you know, you can buy the rhinestones in bulk and, oh, yes. and there's websites. Yes. You can get the Swarovski stones, the really, really great quality stones. Yes. Um, that, and they're not crazy expensive, no. especially if you're buying them in bulk, get together with a couple friends, have a jewelry making party, you know, that way, I mean, cause the bottles of rhinestone glue are so huge. They come so large. That's it would true, take you forever really to do. go through a bottle of rhinestone glue. I think I still glue. have mine from 15 years ago. I it's do too. probably no good now. <laughs> it's but, really dried up inside. But it's, it's still there. Yeah. So get together with some friends, make some jewelry and that can be like a really big cost saver. Exactly. Another thing that you had mentioned that I thought was great. And I feel like as women, this is so hard for us to do because I always want a new dress all the time yes. is re-wearing your costumes. Yes, that's very true. I I mean, I had several different outfits, but there were many occasions that I re-wore something. Yeah. So I distinctly remember a dress that I had made for a showcase, I wore for competition. Right. Or dresses that I made for a competition, I end up wearing for different showcases because I couldn't every three to four months buy a new dress. And oftentimes I couldn't every three to four months make a new dress right. either. <laughs> so do not be afraid or don't think that it's weird to just to wear the same outfit twice. Cause honestly, who cares? Right. And no one remembers. One you're comfortable in and looks good. If anything, I think more people, the most compliments I got were people that were happy to see the same dress again. Yeah. Just because they were like, I liked that one before. I'm glad to see it's it. It's nice to see it time. again. Yeah. So yeah. don't be afraid to rewear things. It's not a bad thing. I wore the same one dress for my entire competition. So and it was beautiful. So professionals will sometimes change. I would bring only one dress. I wore one thing. Yeah. It's less Fine. things to pack. Fewer things to pack, fewer costs. Don't worry about wearing the same thing. And you can kind of keep that in mind as you are investing into costumes or making your own or buying them is consider having a dress that's adaptable to multiple styles. So yes. You know, unless you do have an unlimited budget, resist the urge to buy a smooth dress that's really, really tango style. You know, resist the urge to buy a Latin dress that's like really, really bolero style. So try to try to keep in mind that the costumes you get, you know, feel like you can dance them to multiple styles. And then also consider maybe getting a dress that is a little bit simpler but that you can sort of redesign with jewelry. So yes, if you do definitely. get bored easily, maybe try to accessorize differently, 
maybe do different hairstyles. So if you are getting kind of sick of your costume but can't afford a new one, try to think of exterior ways that you can sort of revamp it. Sort of like Natasha was saying, she used to resole her shoes. Maybe sort of think of resoling your costume, sort of, you know, give it new life without having to buy a completely new one. Exactly. So moving on to our number four budget saving tip would be looking at your personal expenses. Now, this is where things get... exciting one. Yeah, this is very personal. So obviously... You know your own budget, but we, I think this is true in life. We find money for the things that we really want to find money for. Yes, this is true. And it, again, it kind of depends on how much of a priority dance is for you. We have monthly expenses. I'm sure that we can sort of take out. Maybe you go to Starbucks every day and that $5 that you spend at Starbucks every day could go into a different account instead. Maybe you like to go out to eat a lot. And maybe you could take that expense and put it somewhere else. One of the things that I find people talk about a lot on any kind of financial savings uh, podcast or information is having multiple checking or multiple savings accounts. Yes, that can be very helpful to help yourself not only save, but see what you're saving and how it's building. Yeah. I do that for our own home home budget, our home finances. I have different savings accounts for various things. So I know every month the right amount is going in there and that's set aside for that specific thing. And keeping your money in separate little corners. I've, I've only just recently started doing this and I, it's like, wow, why wasn't I doing this my whole life? This makes a big difference. It's very straightforward and it helps because then you're not unintentionally spending that for yeah. something else. It goes towards what it is meant for. And if you're fortunate enough to have direct deposit, you can often have a certain percentage of your check go into a savings account or another checking yeah. account. That makes it super easy. If you're like me and you don't have that, I have multiple checking accounts, so I put money in different places. I, I really have to hide money from myself <laughs> and forget yes, about you it. you have to. And yeah. That's, and that's the way it works. Yeah. And there's really okay. cool apps, too. There's one that I used to use. I think it was called Capital with a Q. But there's a lot of different sort of savings apps where they take your debit card and whatever transactions you do, they round it up to whatever the highest dollar amount from that. And you can set it to a lot of different settings. You can round it up to the nearest the dollar, the nearest $5, right. and it puts it into a separate savings account. There was one time I was I had that app, totally forgot about it. I looked in there, and there was $156 in there. And I was like, oh, my God, how much am I using my debit card? That's I'm insane. I'm I loaded. Have yeah. So, I mean, that's not an insane amount of money, but I was pleasantly surprised by there. it. It was there. Right. So you can take a look at your personal expenses. Um, what were some of the ways that you cut down on your personal expenses when you were taking lessons? So when I was a student, um, and again, I was still living with my parents, so some of those expenses were minimal. But other things that I would do, uh, because... The studio where I went to take lessons was three miles away from where I worked, which nice. was three miles away from my house. <laughs> so for at least two years in a row, for spring, summer, and fall, I rode my bike to work every day. That's amazing. And then I rode my bike to the studio afterwards for a couple hours, and then I would ride my bike home. That's perfect. So I only filled up my car for gas once a month. Wow. Which, it cuts a pretty big cost down that was about a quarter of the cost. Yeah, and so, I mean, it's it might not be like, oh, wow, that's the price of a dance lesson. But if you cut costs in enough places, it yes. eventually adds up. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes it's hard to look at your budget and go, well, if I don't go to Starbucks every day, that doesn't equal a lesson. But if but you don't does. go to Starbucks and you don't do this, you don't do that, then it does. And at the time, I never ate out. And by never is not an exaggeration. I, I think I maybe went out to eat with friends once a summer. Wow. So... I always took my own food to work 
I always made my own food. And I mean, that was a huge, when you think about how much you can easily spend buying food out during the week. Yeah. If you take that and put it in ballroom dancing, you have at least three lessons a month. Oh, totally. Just from food. Yeah. And that was easy. It wasn't too hard to pack my own food. It's simple, but it saved a big cost. Right. Yeah. So just kind of take a look at some of those expenses that you have that right now they're part of your daily life and you're used to them. But if you really take a look at them from the outside, there's probably a lot of things that you could cut back on or even do like what I do and hide money from yourself and then be surprised later when you find it. Yes. And the other thing to keep in mind too, for couples who are taking dance lessons together, one thing that my husband and I do is we try to make it, it's not dance related, but we try to make it a point to have one date night a month, which doesn't sound like much, but we have four kids. So that's, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> um, and every month my husband reminds me to not worry about the cost of hiring a babysitter and the cost that we usually just go out to eat. We don't do something elaborate. That's nice. But he always tells me, don't worry about a cost because it is an investment in our marriage. And right. that's important. We need that time. So for couples who are taking ballroom dance lessons together to consider an investment in your marriage, to consider it a date night. Right. And make that part of your budget, that the ballroom lessons are part of your date night marriage building budget. Because it is an investment. It's it's worth your time and your money to do that together. Yeah, that's that's really, really important. Yeah. And if you do do it as a date night, just from a teacher perspective, do the dance lesson first and then have the bottle of wine at dinner after. Because yes. I have students come drunk to lessons sometimes and it's Not the worst thing life. in the world. <laughs> It does not loosen you up. Trust me. There's such a thing as too loose. (laughs) Okay. So tip three is communicate your budget. Yeah. This is a big one. This is a big one. And this one is really important because very sensitive too. it is because I think most students are not comfortable talking about the cost of things and finances with their teachers. Right. And you don't need to feel uncomfortable about it because ultimately your teacher wants you to be able to take lessons. Yeah. We want everyone to dance and the value that you get out of the lessons, but they can't assume that you can afford the highest option or the lowest option. They don't know unless you tell them. So do not be afraid to be open with your teacher. And instead of saying, Oh, I can't afford lessons anymore. Say, we have a budget issue coming up. Can I talk to you about different options so we can continue taking lessons? So do not think that, yes, even though the cost of lessons are the cost of lessons because your teacher is giving their time and expertise and all that stuff, Right. but fitting it into your budget is always an option. It yeah. just might be a different way of doing it. You may go to one or two lessons a month, but it still fits your monetary budget or it might just be changing how things are going about. So do not be afraid to talk to your teacher about that instead of just assuming that you can no longer afford it. Right. And in a perfect world, we would be taking one, two, three lessons a week with our teacher. Amazing. It would be, I mean, I, I'm a professional and I want to take one, two, three lessons a week with yes. my coaches. Like it would that's be awesome. We know where you're coming from. And, and this is the thing too. Keep in mind that your, your instructor, especially if they have had any kind of competitive career, has encountered the exact same expenses you have. Yes. So uh, like uh, when Lewis and I were competing the most frequently in our career, we were taking a private lesson every week with our coach. And the thing is, what's kind of fascinating is a lot of times instructors have to pay more for their coaching because they're getting coaching with champions, competitors. Sometimes they're charging a little bit more for their lessons. So your teacher probably totally understands the struggle of the expenses because we've done competitions. We've had to buy costumes. We've had to do our hair and makeup. We've had to get coaching. We totally get it. I was a student once. So I'm from a student side. I know exactly what the cost is and feels like. So 
on the professional side now, it's it, it's fine. Just be comfortable talking about them. They are not embarrassed talking to you about it. Yeah. They don't want you to feel embarrassed about it because it's a very practical thing. Right. And ballroom is not this fantastical dream-like scenario that you is unattainable. Exactly. It is unattainable. It can be done practically. So don't be afraid to talk to them. And oftentimes your teacher can let you know that if there's a special coming up. One way that right. I afforded my lessons is I would always talk to a teacher ahead of time and ask them, are there any bulk specials coming up? So mm-hmm. I would buy my lesson in sections, in, in almost parcels. I yeah, a lot of teachers discount five, that way. sometimes 10 lessons at a time. And that means typically at the end, I would have a free lesson yep. is how it would balance out. So I would save up knowing that in April, they're going to have a special I'm just going to buy a block of lessons and it actually saved me money over time. So don't be afraid to ask because they might have that option. They might be able to help and work with you on that. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's really useful for the instructor too, when you're buying in bulk, because then it helps us also to design a lesson plan for you. If I have you week to week and I'm not sure if you're staying or coming or going, I don't really know how to teach you. I don't know how long you're staying, but if you're buying lessons in bulk, it also helps me create a, a very specific syllabus for you too. And don't be afraid to tell your teacher a dollar amount, you know, yeah, get exactly. really specific, say, you know, I've been taking a lesson every week now and coming forward, I, I can only afford a hundred dollars a month for my dancing. So your teacher can actually work with that. If you come to us and say, I can't afford to take lessons anymore. We really don't know what that means. We don't know if that means you're bankrupt and you, <laughs> you have to sell your house, your house is or on if fire. you're like, what does that I have an extra $50 a month of a bill. I can't <laughs> pay, you know? So, so give us a specific dollar amount and that will help us a lot going forward. And if you can only afford to take a lesson a month, your teacher can also help you design a plan for what you can do for the other three weeks out of the month. Maybe exactly. they can give you some exercises. Maybe they can suggest other ways that you can sort of supplement those private, that one private lesson you can take a month and, and go from there. Exactly. It does not mean that you have to stop. It just means that you might have to change how you're doing it. Exactly. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. It just changes. So that's moving us right into our number two way to save money on dancing. And that is by taking advantage. This kind of ties into um, budgeting for lessons. It, it ties into it in terms of taking group classes and going to social dancing and practice parties as much as possible. So this yes. is, to me, this is a really, really great way to supplement your private lessons. It really is. And it's a great way to t- stretch that dollar. So if you're going to a place that includes group lessons and parties in their private lesson cost, do those as much as you can because you're getting you're getting the most out of your dollar for that. And group lessons are one of the best places to practice because you have a teacher there. Right. Even though you're not getting the one-on-one attention, if you need to ask a question, you can. Right. It's, it's great. And then social dancing is one of the best places to practice because it's relaxed. You're in... In a safe environment. <laughs> Relatively safe. It's really the best way to put it. Like yeah. you're not really out exposed in the open. You're, no, you're in a studio. You're with other dancers that are practicing and enjoying it. It's a great right. way to do it. And again, if it's a case where you're at a level of a budget where you realize you can only take one, maybe two private lessons a month, then supplement that with group lessons. Even yeah. if you're paying for a group lesson, a group lesson can be very inexpensive. And again, if you make it part of a date night as a couple, that's how you practice together. Yeah. And you have access to a teacher to ask questions. It's very minimal cost-wise and can help your dancing progress 
without feeling like it's breaking the bank. Exactly. And don't let yourself use the excuse of, I don't want to dance with different partners, because honestly, that is really a great way to learn whether they're at a higher level or a lower level than you. It's really, really important to dance with different partners. Even if you only go out dancing with your significant other, Mm -hmm. it's a great way to improve your dancing. And also don't use the excuse that groups at your level of dancing aren't available. If you're an advanced dancer, you should still be going to beginner group classes because I guarantee you your Cuban motion needs work. (laughs) So do that rumba box, do that waltz box, do like make sure you're not using the excuse of your level or dancing with another partner as a reason not to go to group classes or parties because it is a really, really great way to learn and very affordable. It is. And oftentimes can get you exposure to another teacher. Not that you have to get rid of your private teacher by any means. Don't, <laughs> like don't drop them. But every once in a while, if you go to a group class that's being led by a different teacher, they will explain something in a different way that will strike you differently. You should always have exposure to and other teachers. It's very, very helpful. It, again, supplements what you already know, but it may be a tweak or a twist to something that clicks in a different way. Your instructor might be telling you the exact same thing, but someone else tells you it with a different analogy or in a different packaging. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, it's like the light from the heavens shines on Mm -hmm. you. And you're like, I get it now. Yeah. And that's very common. And that's a good thing to have exposure to different teaching can round you out. Exactly. Yeah. So our number one tip on saving money. This is very exciting. Yes. And no one's going to want to hear this one. Be I'm going to tell you that right now. No one wants to hear this one. <laughs> by this one. Number one tip on saving money is to practice. Practice. Oh, my God. And now everyone stopped listening, didn't you? Yeah. You know no one wants to practice. No one wants to hear this. So, but it's true. So the best way to save money, which doesn't sound like a way of saving it, but it is, in a sense, stretching the dollars that you've spent on your lesson because you've invested money in your teacher in that time. The best way to get the most money out of that is to practice on your own. It's so important. It's very important. And it's not hard to do. Everybody says they don't have time to practice. You have time to practice. You have it time. it doesn't have to be much. So, for example, as a student, I would take two lessons a week, Sometimes. Sometimes go down to one. Sometimes be two. Mm -hmm. But I made it a point for every one hour of lesson, I would have five hours of practice time on my own. That is genius. Which was a lot. And I understand fully because now that I'm older, I have children, I'm married, I don't have an extra 10 hours a week to practice. I get that. (laughs) Not everybody has that. I did when I was 18 or 20. Right. That's fine. But the concept didn't change. So that even if you have a one hour lesson once a week, make it a point to do at least one hour of practice on your own per week, which is small. You've got what, two half hour segments or four 15 minute segments. You don't need to be at the studio. I've practiced in my living room, in my kitchen, just practice something on your own, whether you have your significant other with you or a partner with you or not on your own for a little bit of time, try to do at least an hour to an hour and you'll find that you get even more out of your lessons. You won't feel like there's any backtrack because the worst thing is to go into a lesson and realize that you have to relearn what you were taught last week or two weeks ago. You're like, wow, I just wasted this money. I've got taught this lesson twice. Yeah. And your teacher doesn't want to do that either. I mean, they're happy to do it. I mean, we're happy to. I'll teach you the same lesson over and over and over again. It's your money, right? Exactly. But they want you to get the most out of your money and your time. And they want to see you progress and improve and feel like you're moving forward. That's 
that's important for the student and for the teacher. You really want to feel like you're moving forward. Right, exactly. So the practice on your own is crucial. It's the most important thing, which is why we made it number one, but not everybody wants to do it. Yeah. But the more you practice on your own, the more you get out of your lessons, the more you will feel it is worth your money because you're getting your money's worth out of it. Right. And keep in mind, your instructor is there to provide you information. They're not there to give you muscle memory. Right. They're not there to give you the repetition. It's our job to give you the information. It's your job to take that information and instill that into your body. So don't rely on your teacher for practice. Don't rely on them for that repetition and muscle memory. Yeah, ask them questions, but ask your teacher, hey, can you videotape this? Can I videotape you doing this? Can I rewatch it? Some teachers may have a problem with that, but most don't. A lot of teachers are fine with that. I know of students that... uh, that videotape almost all of their lessons and it's mostly so they can look back at it and one remember a new step that they were just taught right or two recognize where they need to work on something depending on your level and what you're focusing on it it's and like you said most teachers are fine with that you can ask do not be afraid to ask your teacher for help or to be able to do something or write something down I asked Jay, my teacher, to write so many things down. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he got tired of it. But and get comfortable taking your own notes, too, as a student, because you write things in a language that you understand. Yes. Um, your teacher may write things out in a way that is not connecting with you as well. So when they're giving you that information, bring a notebook with you. Make sure you're writing things down. Keep track of what you're learning, because then you can also, as you're moving forward with your instructor, you know, sort of reevaluate your lesson plans from time to time. Well, and it gives you a structure to go off of when you're practicing on your own. If you have some notes and say, all right, I'm going to work on the box for 15 minutes today. Here's what I'm focusing on. I'm focused on rise and fall. I'm focusing on stretching, mm-hmm. a little bit of sway. You go through a checklist. And yeah, you practice like according a focus to a point. checklist. That is how you create muscle memory. Yeah, do one thing at a time. Don't try to do every technique you've learned all at once. And I guarantee you, your instructor will be very excited and happy to give you some practice exercises that you can do in your free oh, yeah. time. So if you don't know what to to practice, ask your instructor, say, Hey, can you give me three practice exercises that I can do this week? Or even if it's just one, that's great too. And practice exercises are simple and rarely take up a lot of space. Yeah. They're not meant to necessarily be you dancing your entire waltz routine in your living room. They're elements of the technique that you need throughout the waltz routine. So don't use space as an excuse. Um, Lewis and I live in a very small apartment and we've practiced elements of our professional routines in here. You can practice swing and sway and basic footwork for a waltz box on carpet. Yeah. You can. can practice Cuban motion. And if you are at a studio where they allow you to practice for free, take advantage of that. Right. And if you're at a studio where they have a charge for um, floor time, if you're practicing, it's usually a lot cheaper than what you'd pay for your lesson anyway. So if you yes. really want to practice something in your shoes or you do want to practice your full routine, then you know inquire about your studio about that too. Um, practicing on your own is the most bang for your buck in terms of getting the most out of your private lessons. It really is. You won't have to take the same lesson over and over again. And you'll really, really save a lot of money not having your teacher tell you the same thing over and over again, which is great. Exactly. Or think of it in connection to if you have children. My husband teaches music lessons. So he hits this all the time is he becomes frustrated when his students that are oftentimes kids don't practice during the week because then he has to tell the parents who are paying for the ah. lesson that they are just doing the same lesson they did last week. No one wants to pay for and that. And he becomes frustrated, not because he's frustrated with the kids being kids, but on behalf of the parents spending the money. It's an investment. And the fact that he he can tell that there is no progress because there was no practice 
it's just become a waste of money. Right. So and whether don't you're be practicing, yeah, don't be those don't kids. Don't be those kids. We don't want to have to tell your parents. And whether you're practicing by yourself or whether you're a couple that takes lessons together, you should be practicing by yourself. So yes. don't use the excuse that you don't have a partner. Professionals, whether they're competitive and have a pro partner or not, mm-hmm. we practice by ourselves more than anything when we're getting our certifications, when right. we're working on technique. You have to practice by yourself. So don't use that as an excuse. Whether you have a partner or not, you have to practice by yourself. Yeah, and you can. As a student, I didn't have a partner. Right. So all my practice was was alone in my own little corner. Yeah, Natasha practiced so much that we used to have a joke that there was like a worn down section in the floor where she used to practice at our studio. She four was always in her section. corner. <laughs> She was always in her corner, practicing by herself, like a psychopath, looking at herself in the mirror. And, and it's, and it's how I think, and you are an amazingly gifted and talented dancer. And I don't think you would be if you hadn't put in that time, um, that solo time on your own, working on your own technique and working on your own skills as a dancer, because it's, it's a huge way to take advantage of a resource that can be free or can be a very minimal cost for, for dancers. So we hope that you have gotten some good information out of our top eight ways to save money on your dance lessons or your dance expenses. Uh, Don't forget to click subscribe because we have some really exciting episodes coming up. And then go practice. And then go practice as much as possible. Don't use any excuses. We all have time. We can do it. Um, and check us out at the dance floor ballroom on Facebook and send me an email at the dance floor ballroom at gmail.com. Tell me what you want to hear more episodes about what you have questions about, and we'll get that information to you. Thank you again, Natasha, for being our guest and Thank your you for having me. budget tips were excellent. I gotta go practice now. All right, go practice. <laughs> All right. And we'll see you next time. Bye.